You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, Rick Snyder and I discuss all the changes we've seen in Washington and the coaches we've covered over the years. It's quite a look from two people who have been around this franchise for a very long time. And then I wrap it up with my thoughts based on what we heard from the Redskins' new coordinators in a conference call. Also, one little plug for next week. I'm going to have on Nick Wagner, who covers the 49ers for ESPN. During the season, Nick and I discussed how we saw that organization change and how it went from a, a proud franchise laughingstock and then rose back up. Well, this time we go in more depth on that topic and the many similarities between the Redskins and the 49ers over the years and perhaps in this situation. But first, my interview with Rick Snyder. Now I'm here with Rick Snyder, longtime writer in this area, now working for the MavenSI.com, and then still 106.7, and Warpath. Warpath, and SportBusiness.com, Sport, and you, you think I'd rich after all this stuff. <laughs> I'm still just trying to eat. <laughs> but Rick and I have seen a lot out here, and so that's why I wanted to have Rick on to talk about these changes taking place. and. I don't think anybody has more combined experience than we have together yeah. right now covering this stuff, you know, especially for Dan Snyder's entire tenure. So now we have more change. And I'm just curious, you know, initially your thoughts on some of these changes to date. Well, you know, Rivera talks a good game and he may be a good coach. It's just I've seen this before. I saw Marty Schottenheimer with the one voice. It's shocking yeah, when Rivera the, said that. that. First, yeah. yeah, I was like, whoa, he's even talking well, like Dan Marty. Dan said that. Dan oh, Snyder said yeah. that. I was just like, wow, that was surprising. And, you know, Shanahan was a tough guy coming in. And, you know, and Snyder seems to go back and forth on his approaches to how he does stuff. You know, the guy sounds good on paper. But like I've told people, I've seen this play a bunch of times. Lincoln always dies in the end. <laughs> so I, yes. I wish him well. I think this team could be a good team next year. Yeah. You know, it doesn't it, – it, They've got enough good young players, and if with a good coaching effort and maybe a good quarterback effort, they could maybe be a playoff wildcard team. It's not impossible. Do you think, because obviously, again, we've covered the entire Snyder tenure, mm. how much how much room do you think he's going to give him and for how long? I think he gets a, a honeymoon period up to the first loss, and then, <laughs> you know, the ice cream gets delivered again. I mean, I don't know. I think he gets... <laughs> it's hard to say with Dan. He gets a year. Let's just say, if unless it's another three and thirteen year, right. I think Rivera gets a couple years. But you got to win in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he gets a couple years. But it, I mean, it feels like I don't think Dan has ever been at this point in his, no, in his this, ownership. I mean, somebody said I agree. It's it's a make or break thing for Snyder, mm-hmm. and we always talk about he's going to own this team for the rest of his life. 
But if the next few years don't go well, then you're almost on the eve of a new stadium, which you need a lot of success to fill what's going to be a new stadium, increased prices. You know, if it all falls apart, maybe Snyder, if he can't get that stadium deal, wants to sell for $4 billion or whatever by then. I could see it. This is kind of like the one because the fans have left. They're gone. And maybe Rivera's waving them back. I see some of that. Uh, but if it sucks again uh, and Snyder is shown to be part of it, I think this is the end of the franchise, really. I mean, it's, it's funny to, to think like that, because, but what, we have, what we've seen the last couple of years is unprecedented in this franchise history. So, and I, I mean, I just wonder, too. I mean, it does feel like getting rid of, rid of Bruce Allen was a big yeah. thing for fans. But then after that now, what these fans want more than anything is to win, and you've got to go do that. Yeah, lo- losing Bruce was a big deal because I can't tell you the number of people who told me I'm never, ever, ever coming back until Bruce is gone. And I ran a Twitter poll, and like two-thirds or some of them said, okay, I'm, I'm coming back. And Because with, with Bruce still there, they weren't. They absolutely weren't. Uh, and, you know, he had ten miserable years, and they saw him for what he was. Uh, so I think the fans are willing to give it one more look. But if it's all smoke and mirrors and destruction, you know, then they're not coming back. But like I said, I still think they have a shot at jumping back in. The yeah, I think, I, think, I think the basis is there for a really good defense. And then let's see how they fix what they do with the offense. But I think the basis is there for a good defense, especially. The other thing is too, like we've been at all. And I know the press conference is now a couple, almost a couple weeks old. So, but it, but I do want some first impressions from those pressers because I think you get a feel for how a guy's going to go. When Marty was here, to me, you could feel the passion. He talked about the big tackles and, you know, Stephen Davis. And you could just, when he was done talking, I think half that room wanted to go put on the helmet right then. And, you know, Joe Gibbs was Joe Gibbs. You know, and then, but then, like, you knew Zorn was going to be a disaster. The black and and burgundy. Burgundy, black black and... what did he say? Black and some black and gold or something? Yeah, black and black. But uh, burgundy and... No, it was... Marooning, marooning. We're in black. That's it. And we yeah. all walked out of there. You and yes. I, I remember in the back of the room going, this ain't going to go no. well. Yeah. And, and even didn't. Spurrier, you knew it wasn't going to go well with him yeah. because of because of how he was. And, you know, I don't remember Rivera saying anything, like, necessarily noteworthy. I think the biggest thing is what you already said is what Dan Snyder said, which is culture change and one voice. That's what stuck out to me about any initial pressions. And then I felt like Rivera was a guy that he is really about – he wants to come here and coach and win. That's it. It's not about grooming Haskins. It's about coming here, coach and win. And yet the eternal line out of that whole press conference that people will remember, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. What do you think? I thought he just screwed up and said the wrong thing. I thought there was an inside joke there or because I know like he, Rivera got fired several days after Thanksgiving, yeah. but it was almost a week after Thanksgiving. It was about, I think it was five days after Thanksgiving. So it may have been an awkward joke. I don't know. I never got a great answer. Well, but I know. I, I just thought he meant to say Happy New Year. And then, you know, Snyder's not a gregarious speaker about yeah. things. If that was a joke, he's got to work on his timing next time. Well, no, and the funny thing is with him, I wish he would talk more. You've dealt with him. When right. I want, one-on-one, he's a lot better. And um, I think he comes across a lot better and doesn't change who he is or what he's done as an owner but I think he puts on a better face than he does when he's trying to speak publicly he just a, gets, in a group. He gets very nervous when he can't control the narrative. Yeah. You know, he just I think it came back his first year or so, he went out to the field at halftime to make an announcement about something and they booed him off the field and I don't think he's ever recovered from that. You know, he just doesn't come out in public 
where he doesn't know what the questions will be. You know, I'd love to talk to him about the next stadium kind yeah. of thing. Where are you with, right. with so many things away from it? But he just doesn't want to do it no, anymore. No, he doesn't. And I put in multiple, multiple, multiple requests. In the last couple months, I've put in that many. And it's there's always the same. He's like, you know, doesn't want to do it. That's that's his right. So I mean, I watch Jerry Jones talk all the time, and I think, mm-hmm. man, this would be fun if we could talk to the owner. Well, you know, I don't know if I want to talk to him that uh, yeah. much. Yeah, you might say, Jerry, I got to go. It's like Theisman years ago. Yeah. Theisman in the locker room's like, hey, you want to talk? Ah, Joe, I'm kind of busy today. <laughs> and one time he took a guy's recorder from him and talked into it for 10 minutes and then threw it back to him. You know, <laughs> so, Nobody else could do that. I mean, Joe was like, no, Joe, we're good today. We got to go. <laughs> I mean, it was like Pepper Rogers was another one. Yeah. He was around. Yeah. Pepper was almost head coach. It would have been awesome for three weeks yes. to just sit around. But we would have had to break up the presser. I know. He would have to say, Pepper, I got to go. I can't yeah. write all of this. You know, I mean, guys like that. But Rivera gave a good, strong first impression. Yeah. Um, you know, people should be excited. I hate, I hate to sound like the Debbie Downer of things just because we've watched it before. But we've seen it all before. You, I think there has to be. Now we're in that. It, I, to me, it's a good hire. It was the right. It was a. I think it's a strong hire. Now you have to win. That's yeah. that's what you have to do. And so we. And that's the part that's always been the most difficult part here because there have been other good hires here before. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to the off-season camp, see him on the field, see how his staff does things. That's when you get a real glimpse. Sure. Until now, it's just fall flag-waving until we see something. And what do, you, like, what do you think most needs to change out there from his perspective, what he can do? Well, I mean, I think he's got to figure out his quarterback, you know, whatever's going to happen there, and there's a lot of things that could happen there. But I, I think it's culture – Jay's practices were too lackadaisical. I used to see it. They, they just they come. They weren't ready or anything. And it, Jay was a good guy who wanted people to like him. And this guy ain't going to care if you like him or not. No. So you Have know, you've seen some of the videos he's had of him online yeah, in the locker room. Yeah, he's he's not afraid to. And that's fine. Yeah, I like that. You know, so I think it's necessary. I don't there. know if they go in the bubble on a forty-five degree day anymore. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, Jay was like, we'll nip you out today. Let's go inside. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's going to be storming and, you know, snow and hail. And he's going to be like, got to get ready for game day. Yeah. I mean, Joe Gibbs won three titles without a bubble. And, and yeah, and that's why they when they opened that bubble, if you remember, they named it the Joe Gibbs practice facility because he hated the bubble. Yeah. So it was like when they named it, I was like, really? And I was like, oh, that's just a joke. That's a joke that I got from Scott. Yeah, I remember standing out watching Gibbs at times thinking, oh, God, please, let's let's end this. Let's go inside. You know, it was, the weather would be so bad. You know, in the old days, George Allen at the old Redskin Park, he used to have players, he asked them at least, to, to grab a dandelion or two while they're walking off the field because the field was overgrown with dandelions. <laughs> it wasn't like today's nice fields. And he would ask players to pick dandelions and all that. You know, such a different world than today. Well, also you remember the Steve Spurrier stuff where there'd be sleeting and he had no clue what it was. I think that was a, that was when Marvin was here because the, yeah. the, the, I think Trey Johnson told the story one time where he said, that they're going outside, it's starting to sleet. Spurrier never experienced sleet and started panicking and basically pushing guys to get back inside. And Marvin basically said, get the F outside. We're going to practice out there. It's just sleet. Get out there. But Spurrier wanted to push him back in. Yeah, I remember that. And you have to tell him, listen, you're going to go to Giant Stadium in the you know cold weather. You're going to do these things. you got to get used to it. That's how they. That's how Gibbs always talked about it. Yeah, players hated that though. They didn't oh, like. Yeah, but they, they even Daryl Green when we saw him recently, he's like Redskins weather. What do you mean? <laughs> he hated that term. But he was a defensive back. You know, he's yeah. it's a big guys who like that stuff. But I also I, I think where the the discipline what I want to see too is 
you'd always hear about guys coming late to practice and you know or you'd hear especially after the fact and certain guys that they would sign would come late a lot and so i think yeah. that was a problem too so did you did you ever see cell phones on the field i've heard about that but i'd never <clears throat> seen a player with a cell phone no i that's i think that was more there was something during practice with that you didn't see players with that yeah, I never saw it, but there was yeah. it was out there about it. Yeah, uh, I didn't see it, but I you're there more that. than I. Yeah, am. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I never did not see that. That would have been noticeable. <laughs> I think it was like it was. If anything like that happened, it would have been after we were. But I don't think that was even. A, I'm not sure that was even a player. What I heard more would be guys showing up late, and um, it, it would happen too often, and then guys would complain how they wouldn't like. They would something would happen, and guys should be fine. They weren't fine, but then the guy who you knew you could control, you would find. Yeah, things I mean, like that. The collective bargaining agreement has changed so much in recent years of how practices went and just general life. I mean, Richie Pettibone, his one year as a coach, head coach, he'd be so mad at them at the end of the season because it was a bad year. They were out there in the dark. Oh, you I know, you me it was that, like yeah. four-hour practices. It's yeah. dark. I'm sitting up there by the building waiting for him to come off. I don't know what, he, but Richie didn't care. He just abused them. Marty used to do twice a day hitting. Marty's in camp. Marty's practice. Marty's training camp was the most grueling that yeah. I've seen because it was two a days, full pads. I mean, I was exhausted by the end of that one. Yeah. And the bull in the ring. And the bull in the, the only ring. Only time yeah. I've ever seen the bull in the yeah. ring in the pros. And Marty would even the Marty's last the getaway day, if you remember, they had a four o'clock practice scheduled. Well, Norv and all these people were just like, yeah, screw it, we're going home. Right. No, Marty had a f- pad practice that yeah. day. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. You're right. You know, before that's he, right. I mean, he just wouldn't even cut him slack and make it a morning practice. Yeah. Marty was rough on him, so they start Ellen five, and then they got eight and eight, so it turned around. But, you know, that's why you can't ever take into account of he's a hard coach, he's a soft coach. You know, Jim Zorn was the softest guy. He got screens out there for you not to stand out in the sun. <laughs> right. Remember those? Z-shade. And, and they started 6-2. Six 6-2. And, two. And, two. and you thought, wow, this guy's an idiot savant or something out here. Yeah. And then the world found him. Marty's 0-5. I mean, it's just there's no way to do this the right way as far as coaches. It's whatever you right. think you're comfortable with and what kind of players you have. And I think and I think you hit on it earlier, the staff as well. And that, that's one of the guys I want to talk about is Scott Turner because we, you know, you saw Scott yeah. years ago. Well, you did too. Yes. I mean, he was 10 years old. And so I haven't seen him at the park yet, but he was 17 when Norv left. And now to see him at 37 is going to be like just some weird time-shaped thing uh, on there. I just remember him being ball boy practice and, you know, grabbing the balls on the Get, field. He got taped to the goalpost. Yeah, I remember time. that. Yeah, I do remember that too. I mean, they taped everybody to the goalpost <laughs> back then. Fred Smoot got taped. Well, I mean, that was under Marty, though. They taped um, Mark Hartzell, who was a four-string quarterback, I think. Yeah, yeah. And remember, they, they, not only did they tape him, they taped him to a handcart and then connected the handcart to a golf cart and drove him around campus right. backwards and then, and then taped him to the tree while everybody ate outside the picnic tables. <laughs> and I interviewed him because he couldn't go nowhere. I do so. remember that. That was always a funny one. It was then they tape a guy to the goalpost, and we go yeah. and talk to them yeah. as they're taped and, like, just – Untape me. The fastest I ever saw Dave Satchel run, he ran like a 4-2 or something down. But he has a, he's a local TV cameraman. We're down one end zone. All of a sudden, Satchel just grabs his camera and runs because they've taped Heath to the goalpost. Oh, yeah. And so we're all over there having fun. And the rule was, with old veteran players, whoever cuts them loose is going to get it. Right. And so a lot of times, it took a little while for the it manager to d- come it, out and it do it. It definitely would take a while. What, what do you th- – I mean, with – Norv, I always found to be a very smart offensive mind. So I'm assuming that Scott is a smart offensive mind as well. Just there's, he's coaching this thing. He's got the bloodlines. 
Um, I also was struck, and I said this on my last podcast, but in watching him give an interview with to Larry Michael, he's probably a better communicator than Norv. Well, yeah, because Norv would try and self-edit as he talked. Yes. So it would be halting and wouldn't make sense at times. Three time. to four starts and stops. You know, I mean, you know, there was many a time as an insider secret, I'll tell it now, the PR guy would come to me and say, Norv wants to talk about this, ask this question. Yeah. So I'd throw him the softball and Norv could yell about something that he was mad about. But he just wasn't a very good communicator because he was thinking too hard. Yeah. Just say just say it, you know, but he wouldn't do it that way. I wonder if Scott will say what we do works. <laughs> yeah, that could be one. I mean, Norv had a tough Norv had a tough era because he had to come right after he the did. Super Bowl era had collapsed. The players all got old. He's from Dallas. There are still people today who think he's a Cowboys operative. Right. I mean, <laughs> how stupid is that? But people really believe that. And, you know, and then Cook dies and everything's in limbo. And, you know, there was a lot. And maybe he got more years because of that, too. I think, I think he did. Because remember the one year, like, it certainly seemed like that staff felt like they were going to be out at the end of the year. And then I think that's when Trent Green got hot and he got him yeah. another year. But also, like, just when he started turning around with Brad Johnson, they had it going. Then Dan comes in, signs Jeff George, gets all these changes. Yeah. And it just went and it brings in, you know, it was you know Dion and all those guys rather than... You know, and it just it went a different way. The, the thing with Norv, too, was, you know, he basically followed Joe Gibbs at the one year with Pettibone. Norv comes out there, and he's on the practice field screaming, what the F is this? And everybody's sort of like doing, you know, crossing themselves, like <laughs> doing the cross signs. Like, oh, man, did you hear him curse like that? Because Gibbs, Gibbs yeah. you never heard Gibbs do it yeah, publicly like that. Right. And Norv's mom used to, I'm not Norv's mom, Norv's wife, Used to give him a hard time about kids are listening and all. So we'll see what Scott does with all that. I'll be I'll be curious to see that. And I you know I don't and I don't know if he's a good hire or not. I know that there's a familiarity there. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I have no idea what kind of coordinator he'll be. You know I just know the bloodlines well, and I know what his, I know what his background is. And you know Norv was a Zampezi right disciple, and we have a Zampezi yeah. who's older but who's now also the quarterback coach. So you have to th- – it'd be interesting to see how they run that offense. Is it Zampezi more than Norv or Norv's thing? I mean, Norv was a smart guy who was good, you know, especially in the beginning of games and could adjust. That was one thing with Jay. Yeah. Jay never adjusted anything that, I ever saw. No, and, that, and there's a reason why they had struggled in the second half. And it's funny because you can – coaches are supposed to be adjusting throughout the game. But there is a longer period at halftime to do more – and the records after halftime. I mean, Callahan, Bill Callahan would always talk about that, how they wanted their teams to be better in the second half of games, which was a direct, which was a shot at what had happened there the previous yeah. years. So. I mean, Gibbs could, Gibbs could beat you in the first half and then say, "I'll take your side," and switch sides, and he would beat you in the second half. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he could do that. And a lot of coaches can't. I just wonder, what are you guys doing, eating a hot dog? I mean, <laughs> you're just. I don't see anything uh, on this. I don't see any counterpunching. So we'll see what Rivera does with that. I, I think he's going to be a little more of the gambler, as people call him, you know, the riverboat Ron. Which is funny because early, very early in his start at Carolina, he was the opposite, and he was yeah. too cautious. And then he had the one year where he basically, I think he was in a little bit of trouble in that third year, and it's kind of like one of those, screw it, let's just try this, and it worked. And, well, it's easy when you have Cam Newton able to make big plays yeah. for you in his prime. You know, I mean, Cam was a special kind of talent. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, maybe they trade for Cam in the offseason. Uh-oh. Oh, then you just... <laughs> there you go. We're 18 minutes in, and Rick <laughs> just dropped the bomb. But the last thing I'll ask about, too, is 
we heard what he said about the Dwayne Haskins stuff. I'm curious, like I've given my take on here. What is what was your take on all that? And what do you think this is going to mean for Dwayne Haskins? I kind of thought, uh oh, I've seen this before too. That's why you should have fired Jay last year. If you're going to go with a first round quarterback, you should go with your new coach. Pair it up together, grow together. Otherwise, you're out of sync. And we have seen this happen before with Gibbs and Spurrier, and all. I've seen it like three, four times where the guy inherits a young quarterback, right. doesn't want him. You know, you know. Look at Gibbs. He went for Brunel as fast as he could. Yeah. You know, and he had Jason Campbell there. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, they dra- yeah, they drafted him. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's just I thought they were out of sync, and now this one, I'm like, well, it's not like Haskins did so much that you're automatically now. You, you know, McCoy's not under contract. Case is not under contract. Alex, I don't see playing. So right now, I don't know who else you got in mm-hmm. mind. But you know, they have the number two pick. Maybe there's a Tua thing. I don't know. I think anything's in play. But and maybe he just didn't want to let Haskins have it automatically. Make I him think work. Probably a lot. There's got to be a lot of it. But well, you know, we don't know. Yeah, because I, I haven't seen his style yet to know what he means. Right. But I think he says what he means and means what he says. So. I think Haskins better come back here ready to go. Better be spending the offseason ready to go. Just don't show up, you know, in March. Because if they have another option, he's going to go with them. So I, I think Haskins' certainty has, is lessened for him being the opening day starter. After this break, I'll be back with my thoughts based on what we heard from Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio in a recent conference call. Now I'm going to end this with my thoughts as usual, and let's start with this one. Number one, during a conference call, new Redskins coordinator Scott Turner made it clear that he really likes quarterback Dwayne Haskins. He also said he wants his quarterbacks to be committed. Now, that was in response to a general question about what is key in developing a quarterback, but it was also spot on, and it's what every coach will always say about that position. As I think I've mentioned before, I've had players tell me when they were talking about Haskins, well, what does it mean that he has talent? We all have it. What they wanted to see was the commitment and, and the approach. And I'd say in December, they did start to see it. I've heard that from players and their agents with whom they're often more honest. So they were excited about what they saw. And I heard that from others in the building too. They don't know yet whether Haskins is the guy They because they still want to see some more, but they like the way he finished. That's where we're at. And that's how they should feel. That's why this new staff has referenced wanting to see leadership and commitment. Both are areas that the previous staff said they wanted to see as well from Haskins. None of this is a bad thing. Haskins has not been put in an ideal situation to start his career. But he can now prove to this staff that he should be the guy. I don't buy for a second that they will automatically start him simply because the owner wanted him. I don't think you understand the level of power Ron Rivera now has. But I think their approach will be a good one for Haskins. Rivera seems intent on a new approach at Redskins Park. I love the hire of of Ken Ken Zampezi to be the quarterback's coach, but this group can set a firm foundation for what they want from Haskins. He'll either give them what they want or he won't. And if he doesn't, they'll move on. And if he does, they'll be very happy. I do think they'll give him a fair shot, and that's a good thing. Number two, 
Turner also liked that Haskins is a big arm and can get the ball down the field. During Turner's two years in Carolina as a quarterback's coach, the Panthers used a lot of play action. In fact, they had the second most play action pass attempts in those two seasons in the NFL. Now, Turner wasn't calling the plays except for the final four games list past year, and when he did take over, the, the numbers didn't change. They still use a lot of play action, and that's good for Haskins. The previous staff felt that Haskins would be good with more play action and also the quick pass game. They like that he can get the ball out of his hands fast. They like his size at the line. Those are two areas that Turner mentioned in the conference call. Last season, this as a starter, Haskins completed only 53.3% of his play action throws. But in the last two games, he was a combined 6 of 9 on those throws. He will have to improve his accuracy down the field. He was pretty good there at Ohio State. Last year, he completed 8 of 24 passes on throws that traveled 20 or more yards in the air. That's got to improve. And he completed only 3 of his last 12. I do think this can improve with better tight end play and another legit receiving threat and probably a more balanced attack, one that does emphasize that play action and you can clear out some of the linebackers. The, the Turners like to attack the middle of the field. If you can clear out some of those linebackers with the play action, it opens up better possibilities down the middle for a guy like Haskins. I think the Redskins will search hard for both a tight end and another legit receiving threat. Number three, when we talked to Jack Del Rio, I asked him about the impact a guy like Von Miller had for him in Denver. Clearly, you know why I asked. Chase Young could have that same kind of impact here. Del Rio said guys like that will put a lot of pressure on offense, but he added that it starts with penetrative, disruptive, defensive linemen. Well, Young would be a D lineman here. When, when uh, Del Rio was asked directly about Young, he didn't really want to discuss him, and it's easy to see why. It's mid-January. They just got here. They have a lot of other things to do other than scout Chase Young right now. They have, they're put, putting together a staff. You have to scout for free agency. You have to, then you're going to turn to the draft. So they'll get through all that stuff first and then get on to um, evaluating talent for the draft. Now, I also spoke with John Fox, who was the head coach in Denver while Del Rio was the coordinator. And he reminded me that Del Rio was in Carolina when they drafted Julius Peppers, second overall in 2002. So Del Rio knows the havoc that pass rushers like this can create for a defense. In talking to Fox, I relayed, you know, based on conversations I had with others, how there are some who think that maybe having elite corner play might be more impactful. In that situation, the Reds could, could trade down, maybe pick up a Jeffrey Okuda from Ohio State. But Fox dismissed that idea about the corner play. To him, it's all about getting to the quarterback. And this is what he told me about the corners. No doubt those are critical positions, but it starts up front and the best pass defense in the world is a pass rush. I also asked him about using two gap versus one gap. And for you football aficionados, you know, we, we I had Jeff Legwald on here a couple of weeks ago from Denver. The topic came up and there's been some angst or whatever or concern about what they're going to use. Well, they use both in Denver. And Fox said there were times when you may have one lineman using two gap, another who was just in a, in a one gap, um, a a one gap look. Um, he also said it depended on what they're doing in coverage. He said that if they use a lot of split safety, they might use more two gap. Otherwise, he felt you could end up a gap short in your run fits. So that's a lot of what I would expect here, a lot of variety. 
Also, in talking to some people close to Jonathan Allen, they said he's comfortable either way. Keep in mind, this person told me they used a lot of two-gap at Alabama. Finally, one area that Del Rio was more passionate about on his conference call was the lack of communication, especially in coverage in the secondary. Before he answered this question, right before this question, he was asked about what he felt needed to be fixed on the D or what positions needed improving. Well, he didn't really want to answer that question, certainly not publicly, and I don't blame him. He has nothing really to gain from that. Question's fine, but there's nothing to gain from it. So when Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington ended the conference call by asking about communication issues last year, I wondered if we'd get kind of a similar answer. Nope. Del Rio gave his second longest answer in his conference call, and it was clear that he was not pleased with what he saw on tape in that area. Hell, he shouldn't have been. He said there were countless examples of communication issues, and he's damn right about that. I, there, I apologize about the language. Um, anyways, it was bad. He said it was sometimes a result of not being ready or even in a ready stance. He talked about lining up with more urgency so they're ready to read what the offense is doing and then to adjust accordingly. He said having urgency in the pre-snap is huge with him. And I agree, it was bad last season. Del Rio wasn't going to blame anyone in particular for it. He just knows what he saw. I know some here who were close to Greg Minuski bemoaned what, they, what constantly happened. They, at one point, one person told me, you can't keep saying these guys don't get it. This is someone who would talk to Minuski, and he would just say, well, if this guy just did this, this is what we told them to do, and they weren't, weren't doing it. Well, eventually, ultimately, it's on you as the coach. If they keep messing up like that, then you got to either find another way to teach them, simplify it a little bit more, or find somebody who can do what you need them to do. Now, Minuski paid the price, and I'm not going to put all the blame on him because I think there's some other factors that go into it. But I will say, if you want a smarter team, you have to bring in guys who are big-time studiers. A lot of guys on the DR in the secondary, Quentin Dunbar, is that's how he's risen from being a receiver to being a starting corner in the NFL. Landon Collins is that way. But they need more players who devour tape and information in the secondary. I always go back to that Seattle defense with Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, that group. They All those guys were like that. That's why they were so good. That's why you can play with anticipation in the secondary and you can set up you can set up corners a certain way and you know, or quarterbacks a certain way because you just know what's coming based on all the information you have in your head. At, and I think it also depends too. That system was such that it wasn't the most complex system, so they could play fast, but it also started with them with how much they studied. At linebacker, I know Cole Holcomb is a film freak, as was John Bostic. Um, the off-season is a time where hope gets fed. It's an age-old practice here in Washington. But you can also look at Del Rio's track record and believe that maybe this time there will be more than just off-season hope. So let's end it there. I want to thank Rick Snyder for joining me. Always enjoy my conversations with, with Rick. And I also want to thank you for listening as always. I'll talk to you next time.